What's up, Riv? Good to be with you guys. Uh, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, Westside Venue Director. And gosh, you know, just hearing Steve just now uh, talk about our side-by-side ministry and, and really to talk about our church, uh, man, I was just reminded <laughs> of how getting to be in this family with all of you is one of the greatest joys of my life. It, it truly is. And um, gosh, I just love, love being with you. So thank you. Thank you for being here today. Um, we're continuing on um, in our Apostles' Creed series, as you saw there. Uh, and every weekend, what we've been doing in this series is we've been standing together, and we have been reciting the Apostles' Creed together. So I'd love to invite you uh, to stand. Uh, we're going to say this together. We'll have a seat, and then we'll get right into it. But let's say the Apostles' Creed together. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. So this morning, so as as, uh, Steve said, and as that video showed, we have been kind of working our way through the Apostles' Creed for a couple of months. And this this weekend, we are just looking at one short line uh, that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a question for all of us to think about. What comes into your mind uh, when you think about the words Holy Spirit? Depending on the church environment that you were raised in or whether or not you were raised in the church at all, uh, I can pretty much guarantee that we may have some vastly different understandings of the Holy Spirit in this room. Maybe vastly different than the person sitting next to you. Because for some of us, you know, the Holy Spirit, that may be a real encouragement to us. You know, the Holy Spirit may be a comfort. We may see the, the Holy Spirit as this long-time support in our faith. We can look back on seasons of our life and seasons of our faith where the Holy Spirit just really ministered uh, to us in our situations. Others of us in here may be like, who's that? <laughs> right? Like, I, have, I know nothing about the Holy Spirit. Like, I didn't grow up in the church, maybe. Or maybe you just have very little understanding. Because some of us may have grown up in churches where we, we talked about God the Father a lot. We heard about Jesus, but no Holy Spirit, right? He's like that person in your extended family that you know is there, but they never come around. Like, they're just kind of a mystery. Um, but for some of us, I, I think the Holy Spirit just may be confusing or kind of weird. Like, and we think that because we've seen just this range of experiences or this range of things that's happened that people say, this is the Spirit, things we've seen in, in ministries or, or churches in, in, in our area or just around the world, Right? Here, the Holy Spirit's kind of like that, that crazy cousin. Uh, cousin Eddie from National Lampoons is what comes to mind for me. Like, if Cousin Eddie's around, weird stuff's going down. Like, that, that, like that may be what we think. But I know all of us here this morning, we just have different understandings, different experiences with the Holy Spirit, right? And I think that question of what comes into our minds is really important. And here's why. How you view something... Or, or how much you understand really the truth of, of who a person is or what something is, that's going to change how you interact with that very thing. If you have no understanding of the Spirit, 
you're, it's going to be absent in your life. If you have a wrong understanding of the Holy Spirit, it's, your life's going to reflect that too. Right? Maybe you're going to blame God for things. You're not going to give him credit where credit's due. Or maybe you're going to expect God to do things that he doesn't really say he's going to do. But if we have a right understanding of the Holy Spirit, if we look in the scriptures and see who he is, what he does, what life in him is like, then we can more confidently say what we just said together. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's my goal this morning over the next 30 minutes or so. So there's a lot of passages in the Bible uh, that describe the Holy Spirit that help us know who he is more deeply. But in order for us to do that, we first have to understand a key attribute of God that is going to be paradoxical to us. We will not fully grasp this. I'm just warning you. But it's the core doctrine of our Christian faith. And it's this. It's that we worship one God that exists in three persons. The one God of the universe exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, I say this a lot. I'm a visual learner. <laughs> it really helps me to have charts or pictures or just seeing things in a different way. And so if you're with me, this, I hope this helps you. Uh, this is an illustration that really captures uh, this idea as much as we can understand it, of what the Trinity is like. So here in this picture, you see that God is one. Right? There is one God, but that he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is Jesus, but you'll see that these three persons are actually distinct from one another. God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So you see that they are not one another, but they all are God. Easy, right? <laughs> no, this is not easy. This is like very weird, uh, but this is what we see and the, cool, the crazy thing about this, too, is that in the Bible, you actually don't see the word Trinity. You don't see that word explicitly, but you see evidence of the Trinity all throughout the Bible. And you actually see it first in the very, book of, or the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, in, in the creation account. It's, it's this amazing thing. God creates, but then he says something really peculiar. When he's talking about us, God says, let us make man in our image. God doesn't say, let me Make man in my image. He says us. And he says our. So in the very beginning of the Bible, you see this, this plurality of the Godhead here. Another really cool thing that happens where you see the Trinity present in the Bible is in the New Testament. When Jesus gets baptized. So Jesus gets baptized. And then God the Father from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, too, the Holy Spirit comes, descends upon Jesus, and you see all members of the Trinity present. One of the most explicit places, though, that we see the Trinity is in the book of John, and it's on the last night Jesus had with his disciples before he would be crucified. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you're going to follow along on your phone, you can do that. We're going to be in John. We're going to be starting in chapter 14, and we're going to be really John chapter 14 through 16. But as you're getting there, I want to kind of set the scene. Okay, we need to understand the context. It's really important to look at the context of what's going on in the Bible really before we, we open it up. And the book of John is one of the four biographies that we have of Jesus in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're here today and you're, you don't really know much about Jesus, start there. <laughs> these, are, these are often firsthand accounts. John is actually a firsthand account of his time as a disciple with Jesus. The book of John is 21 chapters long. And chapters 1 through 12, kind of the first half of the book, it's three years 
It's capturing three years of what Jesus did. But chapters 13 through 21 is all one week. So it's just laser-focused in on just a little short time. And chapters 13 through 17, where we're going to be, is one evening. So that's where we're going to be. And the time leading up to this scene was very intense. Because as Jesus did his ministry and as he lived his life, he was increasingly polarizing. (laughs) People really fell on one of two sides with Jesus. There was the religious leaders who hated him, and then there were Jewish people who were thinking he was the king that had come to establish the earthly kingdom right then and there. In chapter 11 of John, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And all these religious leaders, it was the last straw. It says explicitly in chapter 11, from that point on, the religious leaders plotted to kill him. It wasn't silence him anymore. It wasn't pull people away from Jesus. It was kill Jesus. And then in chapter 12, you saw this group of people chanting, Hosanna, the king is here. They had thought of Jesus in a way that he actually wasn't saying he was. They were thinking, he's going to free us from Rome. But Jesus came saying, I'm going to free you from your sins. And many of those people eventually rejected him. But all of this was leading up to chapter 13, where we're going to be. And in chapter 13, the scene is different. It's peaceful. Jesus is in an upper room with his friends. They're sharing a meal together. I just picture the disciples just laying back thinking, finally, we're out of, we're out of all this tension. We just get to sit and relax with Jesus. But chapter 13, verse 1, kind of sets the, the stage for what's going on here. It says this, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So that's really the introductory sentence to how this love would be seen. And it starts with a few chapters of Jesus teaching his disciples. His last time he's talking with them. And as he's talking, the disciples start to realize, like, Jesus is saying some weird stuff. So Jesus says that he's going to leave. And he also says that the disciples can't come with him. And you're not going to get it. Okay, it's going to make more sense in a little bit. But all the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Like, we don't like what you're saying. But then Jesus starts talking about this Holy Spirit, this counselor that's going to come and is going to minister and serve these disciples. And then we see the first thing about this Holy Spirit in John 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now remember, Jesus had spent three years with his disciples up to this point, pretty much every day. If you were a disciple, you didn't wonder what you were doing the next day. Like hanging with Jesus. (laughs) That's what we do. But now Jesus is like, guys, I'm leaving and you're not coming with me. And I have to imagine these disciples thinking, we're going to be alone. Like, what are we going to do without our teacher, right? But Jesus says, guys, you're not going to be alone. Because God the Father is going to send you another, this counselor, this spirit of truth. Now, that's really cool. The word in the Greek there in which this was written, it's this word parakletos, or paraclete. Now, that's not a word that we use very often, but it's this word that means advocate, or comforter. 
It's so cool that we're talking about side-by-side ministry this weekend because that is really what the Holy Spirit does for us in our faith. To be a paraclete is to come alongside. And there's two really unique things here that Jesus says about this counselor that are actually going to be different than Jesus was for these disciples. Do Do you see what he says? He says, this counselor is going to be in you. He's not going to be with you. He's not going to be like me just talking with you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to remain in you or with you forever. Jesus was leaving. But this counselor was coming in. He would reside in these disciples. You know, there's another word that we see in this, in this section of Scripture a little bit later. It's another word for remain, but I think it's just a stronger, deeper word. It's this word abide. The Holy Spirit is going to abide in. It means to live in, to remain, to persevere. And when I think of that word abide, I think of relationships. Relationships that I have with people in my life that I've just abide, I just abide in. Think about yourself. Think about someone that you've known for years, maybe a friend or a parent or a mentor or a spouse. Over time, the depth of that relationship, the trust, it's persevered because you're abiding together. The Spirit does that and will do that for these disciples, Jesus says. Jesus talks about this helper, but we see actually in other parts of the Bible that this wasn't a unique promise for the disciples. This was for all believers, For any person who turns from their sin, who accepts Christ in faith, his offer of of forgiveness and life in him, what they return is they, they they get eternal life, but they get God himself. God begins to indwell them. Every season of life, the spirit abides. He remains. He never leaves. Like That is an incredible promise for us. So Jesus starts with that. He's like, guys, this counselor is coming. And he's going to live in you. He's going to abide in you. But then he begins talking about what some specific things this counselor is going to do. John 14, verse 25, says this. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. This is Jesus. But then he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, when we read through the Gospels, those, those four biographies of Jesus' life, you see pretty clearly what Jesus did. I mean, he's a teacher. He was a rabbi, right? He went around and he taught people. But the disciples had access to Jesus as a teacher that no one else did. Because Jesus would teach like this, and then he'd retreat with his disciples and be like, okay, guys, this is what I'm getting at here. <laughs> he would explain it to his guys a little bit more deeply sometimes. But in this moment, they're hearing again, our teacher's gone. He's leaving. But he's saying this Holy Spirit is going to come and teach you and remind you of all the things that I've told you. This is really important for us to know that this is something the Holy Spirit does. Because as Christians, how the Holy Spirit teaches us, it is through the Word. We commit ourselves to knowing what this book says. Now, I've had the the gift of being a part of Riverview for 20 years you know, I start, this was the first church I started coming to when I was in high school, when I became a believer. And the most formative thing for me as a follower of Jesus over these 20 years, hands down, has been that we open this book every weekend. <laughs> that pastors, we, we, we come up here and we say, like, we're going to do our best <laughs> to explain what this means. Because this is truth. 
This is how the Holy Spirit teaches us. This is the clearest revelation God has given us so that we can know him, so that we can know ourselves, so we can know what to do with our lives. And the Spirit teaches us this. He's a teacher. He reminds us of truth. But look at what else Jesus mentions that he does. He keeps going. He says the counselor's going to do something else, too. This is John 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so Jesus says a word here of something else the, the Spirit's going to do. And he actually talks about the Spirit's going to do it and we're going to do it. He says it twice. It's this word testify. What comes into your mind when you hear that word? For me, I think of the, the intense courtroom scenes from movies. Right? I think of like law dramas, like uh, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson, right? You can't handle the truth. Right? And then you've got Gregory Peck and To Kill a Mockingbird, or Legally Blonde, if you're a Elwood's fan, I guess. Um, but, but, but no, it's these powerful scenes, right, where you have witnesses giving testimony to what's happened. And the goal of a witness is to get to the truth. They've seen the truth. They're bearing witness. That's what it means to testify, to share the truth of what you've seen, what you've heard. But what's very interesting here is don't miss what Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to testify about. It's in verse 27. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to testify about me, not himself. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bear witness about everything I have done. A goal of the Holy Spirit is to help Jesus be seen clearly, not himself. Now, I th this is really important because I think churches, I think ministries, I think we can often get this backwards. Because I've heard people describe what it means to be spirit-led sometimes. And they're saying it just means that there must be all these outward workings of the spirit. That we must stoke that. But we must bring about these manifestations of the spirit so we can know the spirit's here. But we see that that's not what the spirit does <laughs> here. The Holy Spirit does not work to make himself known. But to make Jesus known. I think Al Mohler gets it right when he says this. He writes this. Where you find the Spirit of God present, you do not find so much testimony about the Holy Spirit as you find testimony about Christ. Where you find, therefore, a bold, biblical, urgent, accurate, enthusiastic, joyful, and life-changing testimony of Christ, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is vibrantly at work. Like, I love that. <laughs> If you want to see if the Spirit is at work in your life or at, or at work in your church, look to see who is being magnified. Who is being made much of? The Spirit's job, it says here, it's to magnify Jesus, to bear witness about him. And don't miss what Jesus says there. The Spirit's going to do it, but guess what, guys? You are too, because you've been with me right? You're going to bear witness about the things you've seen, the things that you've heard. And that's, that's why we are witnesses. That's why we witness to people, right? We have the same job the disciples do as followers of Jesus. Okay, so far, in just two chapters, Jesus has brought up the counselor a bunch of times, right? He's going to teach you. 
He's going to testify about me. He's going to be in you. And you got to wonder how the disciples are feeling at this moment. Like, okay, Jesus, it sounds really good. We'd still rather have you, though. <laughs> I've got to think that, right? I mean, these disciples, they don't want Jesus to leave. But Jesus says something crazy in the next chapter. He's like, okay, guys, I'm going to try and convince you. It's going to be better if I leave. And Jesus, Jesus explains why. In John 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay, so Jesus tells them, he's like, okay, guys, I know you want me here, but it's better that I go. Because if I don't go, the counselor's not coming. But if I do, I'm going to send him. And when that spirit comes, he's going to do something else in addition to all the things I've already told you. The spirit is going to convict the world of sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Now, convict, that's another legal term. Right? We, think of, we think of that again. But it translates to one word in the Greek. It's this word, elenko. And that word, it just means to present or expose facts or to convince someone of the truth. That's what the Spirit does for the world. The Spirit convinces the world about sin. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here, if you're a Christian, this has happened in your life. There was an awareness of sin, a conviction of your brokenness that you had before God. And you may be tempted to think you're just a really sharp person and you came to that conclusion kind of on your own or just, you know what, you kind of put the pieces together and I'm just, I got it, you know, but that wasn't you. The Spirit did that in you. (laughs) Now, the the work of the Spirit often does work in, in human efforts, right? Through preaching or through evangelism, someone loving you enough to help you see that you're broken, that you're worshiping things that aren't going to satisfy you, that you're wrapping up your identity in things that aren't of Christ. And the Spirit can work in that, but no one can become a Christian without this happening, without being convicted of sin. That must happen first. We must be aware of our need before we go to the one who can meet that very need. The Spirit convicts us. He reveals the need we have and how only Jesus can satisfy it. The Spirit abides. He teaches. He testifies. He convicts. But the last thing we see here is in just a few, in one verse later, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Holy Spirit finally guides us into all truth. When I was in high school and in college, I had this awesome opportunity uh, to go backpacking out in Colorado uh, a few times. We took took students out there in Young Life uh, where we did that. And they were just amazing experiences. 
And each trip we had, we had two guides with us. And their entire job, on the outset, they tell us, like, hey, our job is just to help you. <laughs> to help you be here and experience all of this. It wasn't about them. It was about everything else. And the guides were like, we're going to help you. Now, we could have gone out there without guides, and it would have been terrible. <laughs> we wouldn't have gone anywhere. Uh, we probably would have gotten eaten by something uh, out there. But no, like the guides, what they did, they patiently and joyfully just went before us every day and helped us have this awesome experience. They stopped us at certain points. And they're like, hey, look at that mountain. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. They told us to stop and say, hey, look at those animals over there. You're not going to see those in Michigan where you're from. Or, hey, you know what? We all actually need to take a break, even if you don't think we need to, because we're going to have a pretty hard climb coming up here. So drink some water. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us in a spiritual sense. He guides us into the truth. He, he tells us, hey, you know what? Stop and, and look at what Jesus is doing here in your life. He helps us slow down and be joyful where we are. He helps us be bold. He helps prepare us for hard things. He guides us. Jesus tells the disciples that the spirit of truth is going to come and do these things for them as he goes, as their comforter, their advocate, the one who is in them. As I said earlier, these were Jesus' last words. Right after chapter 16, chapter 17 is a prayer. Jesus prayed for his guys. He prayed for us, for those who would come to believe in him. But then he left where he was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was arrested, and then he was crucified. These were his last words to his friends. These chapters in John, they're helpful for us because they show us this ministry of the Holy Spirit. They tell us, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. But if we leave here today with just a greater knowledge of what the Spirit does, I think it's actually an incomplete thing. We need to leave here applying this. We need to leave here thinking about, okay, how do these realities show up in, in our lives as followers of Jesus? How do we apply this? What does it look like for us to walk by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit? We actually have this really clearly for us in the, in the letter of Galatians. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, and this is a letter he wrote to churches in the region of Galatia, and he talks about this work of the Spirit. This is Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul writes this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you that these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, a lot here. 
But here the Apostle Paul is writing about ways we live and how those ways we live coming from really two different places in our lives. There's works of the flesh, and then there's fruit of the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are things that we do that are just normal to our human nature. Now, today, just that very sentence I said just now is an unpopular view in modern culture. Because many people today believe that we are born inherently good. And if we do bad things, something went, or, something went wrong along the way. Right? It was just, you know, it just kind of happened. Now, I believe the opposite, that we're born sinful. And if we do good things, it's like, well, that's kind of random. But, you know, but like, we're born sinful. We have a sin nature. And another reason I think this is we don't have to be taught how to do those works of the flesh. I mean, do you notice that? How many of you parents in here taught your two-year-old how to be jealous? None of you. Outburst of anger. Selfish ambitions. Any young parents in here? Yes. How many of you adults Googled how to live with envy? Strife. Getting into factions. No, we do that, though. Don't we? None of us. This is what happens in our lives. The works of the flesh are a natural outflow of the human heart that does not have the spirit. It is. But that's, I I love the contrast that Paul gives. Instead of living in the flesh for a Christian, there's another way, a higher way that we're called to. It's the fruit of the spirit. Notice here, Paul doesn't say works of the spirit. He says fruit of the spirit. So think for a second. Think about fruit. How does fruit grow? <laughs> right, let's all go to the country mill. Look at an apple tree. How does that happen? Well, it happens when it has the right things. The right environment, enough sunlight, it's got water. But the thing we most forget that trees need is time. A tree needs time to produce fruit. When a person chooses to follow Christ, when they turn from their sin and turn toward him in faith, that Holy Spirit moves in. He moves into the house that is your heart. And when he gets there, it's a messy house. Tell you what. (laughs) He begins moving things around and, and cleaning it up to make your heart look like the heart of Jesus. And you know how much time that takes? The rest of your life. It's sanctification. The Spirit makes us more like Christ. And likely at the end of your life, that house that is your heart, it's going to look cleaner and it's going to look better, but it's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. But this is what the Spirit does in us. Paul writes in that passage that the solution for carrying out all those works of the flesh, it's walking by the Spirit. And as we walk by the Spirit, fruit's going to happen. You know, I think something else that we kind of mix up about this passage here in Galatians is that fruit is singular. We often, think, we often think fruits of the Spirit. I just need to be more peaceful. I need to work on being peaceful. But, you know, these are a package deal. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they go together. As time goes on, as we continue to live our lives for Christ slowly but surely, we will become more of those things by the Spirit. That fruit will begin to grow. So the question for us today is is really, what, what are we walking in? 
Are we walking by the Spirit? You know, I don't often think we know that for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I often see myself more positively than I am. Hello. Anyone else see that? (laughs) But for me, I need to ask someone I trust and that I love, like, hey, how am I doing? And I need to give them permission to answer honestly. Am I growing in love toward others? Am I joyful? Am I seeking peace? Am I growing in patience? Kindness? Am I faithful in my commitments? Am I more gentle than I used to be? Am I growing in self-control? You may not be able to answer those questions for yourself, but someone else may be able to see those things in you, see the fruit happening. Remember, fruit takes time. Also, look back to your life a few years ago. Or if you're a newer believer, look back to your life right before you became a follower of Jesus. Is there any fruit that you see? The Spirit bringing about in your life. Something we have to remember. We don't white-knuckle our way into producing fruit. You don't see people out there yelling at apple trees, just grow fruit. (laughs) It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. No, but over time, it happens. It's fruit that comes from walking in the Spirit, from a life dependent upon Jesus, a life that knows him and enjoys him, from time spent in his word, time spent in prayer to him, time spent here in community with other believers. If we walk by the Spirit, God himself who abides in us, who teaches us, who bears witness about Jesus, who convicts us of sin, who guides us into truth, we will look more like Jesus. It will happen. And that is why we can confidently say, as a church family, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do just want to thank you today for your word that you teach us, that the Spirit teaches us through this revelation you have given to us. God, we often think that we we want you to tell us things or, or maybe give us a sign or do all these other things, but God, you gave us something better. You gave us something that we have with us that we can refer to whenever we need to so that we can know you, we can know ourselves, and we can rest in those truths. God, I thank you for the spirit that you don't leave us as orphans, but that you've given us yourself, that you indwell us, that you produce these things that we can't even try to produce on our best day. God, it's because, of, it's because of Jesus and what he has done for us that the Spirit indwells us and makes us look more like him. God, I pray that you help us be bold in understanding the ways we may be walking in the flesh. 
instead of walking in the spirit, I pray for community. I pray for accountability for people in our life that love us enough, that wanna help us look more like Jesus. And God, again, we thank you today that you're with us, that you're in us, and that we get to worship you in truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.